Now, will you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of John, the Gospel of John. As you know, this coming week is our week of prayer. And I began the preparation for that last week by showing what the, the prayer of God's people are and how the foundation of Scripture is what gives credence to our prayers, as we shall see this morning. And so I want to remind you that in John 15, we have a conversation with, with the disciples by the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, this is not Paul speaking to the people. This is not um, uh, Peter speaking to the people. This is Christ speaking concerning this life of prayer. And I invite your attention to hear what he says uh, in verses 7 through 9 of the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 15. Will you rise as I read God's word? Luke, I'm, I'm sorry, John 15, 7 to 9. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear fruit, much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. And Father, I pray that your Spirit will be our teacher that no man will give any personal interpretation to your word that is not of God. May we hear truth and not error. May we hear the voice of the Spirit and not simply the voice of a man. May we hear God's word this morning. May our soul live because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. It would amaze you, I think, if you should go through the scriptures and learn how connected prayer and the scriptures go together. All through the Bible, Old and New Testament, this idea of, of praying and the scriptures. I, one of my favorites, of course, is in the sixth chapter of the book of Acts, where there is a problem in the church. And the people went to the apostles and told them of this problem. And at the problem, and the apostles said this. It is true that a problem exists, but we cannot leave our post, our calling, to take care of it. Here is what you're supposed to do. But for us, we will give ourselves to prayer and the study of the word. We will give ourselves to prayer and the study of the word. We'll see this morning that this is developed all through Old and New Testament passages. And Jesus himself is the one who invites us to understand the connection, the connectedness between the scriptures and prayer. Paul said to Timothy, the scriptures make you wise unto salvation. And having taken this from the, the words of Christ in the Old Testament, we read in verse 7 
if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I want us to look this morning at what I call the prelude, the prelude to prayer. Now, I'm going to tell you now, before I was a Christian, I wasn't interested in prayer. I couldn't see any sense for it. I couldn't see any reason for it. I used to make fun of those who did it. And so it was never a part of my life. But something happened that good Friday morning when by the grace of God I became a part of his family. Nobody told me that I should pray. I was not conversant with with the, the scriptures as others may have been. And so the the beginning of this prayer life, this this prayer appetite began when Christ was confessed as Lord and Savior. Listen to what he says. Paul said, the scriptures will make you wise unto salvation. Listen to what Jesus said. If you abide in me, a prelude to a prayer life begins with one's confession of Jesus Christ as Savior. You can pray all you want if you are not born again. And we call this common grace. God responds to the Hagers of the world. But when it comes to the saving of one's soul, when it comes to the communion with with, with God, it begins with this. Let's take a few minutes to look at it. If you abide in me. If you abide in me means that there was a time when you actually personally, individually, entered into me. And he said, if you abide in me, it means if you stay, if you remain, if you continue, if if you stay exactly in the place where you started. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, talking to the Christians in Corinth, said, this is the gospel, check yourself to see if you're abiding in it so that you can be sure that you did not believe in vain. Did you get that? It is possible to believe in vain, and when you believe in vain, it means you don't continue. It means you don't stop. It means you don't remain. So if you believe, in in, in fact, as we shall develop this later on, something will happen that, that begins to stir your soul to stir your appetite for something you never knew before. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. You are born again not of corruptible seed, but by incorruptible, by the living word of God. Apart from that word, we cannot be born again. No matter what happens, it is possible for a person to have a a, a spiritual experience, if you please. But that person who has that spiritual experience, you will find it in the scriptures or out of the scriptures, they're always brought again so that the word will have the last word and what happens to that person's spiritual journey. I I, I only think again of of one of the... uh, I was living in in Canada at at the time when one of the, the... uh, Black Panthers became uh, spiritually awakened. Uh, he, he, he flew 
Edward Cleaver, I think was his name. He, he flew to, to Cuba. And then he flew to South America. And then he flew to China. And then he was in the south of France. And, and, and one, one night his soul was getting so restless. N nothing he, he experienced in any of those countries satisfied what he was looking for. And of course, he was a part of this movement. And he said one day he went in the south of France and he looked up in heaven. And as he looked in, up in heaven, he said, I saw all the faces of those dictators whose, whose, whose countries I ran to to try and find the answer to the quest of my soul. And he said, I saw all their, their names there, uh, their faces there. But nothing happened to me as I saw them, just simply disappointment. And then he said, however, he, said, he saw this, I saw the face of Jesus. And all of a sudden, I began to weep like a baby. And all I could do was to remember the words my mother taught me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he said, soon after that, he had the deep conviction that he should return to the States and face his trial. But before that, he was taken to some people who opened the scriptures and showed him what his needs were. And he became a Christian, not by what he saw in South France, but what he heard from the scriptures. The scriptures make you wise unto salvation. That Jesus Christ is the Savior, the one who came into the world to save sinners. And so Paul says, uh, Jesus said, if you abide in me, you have entered into me, now stay with me. Continue in me. Don't make, as I asked someone who said, they made a decision. I said, what did you do after that? He said, nothing. Oh, my friend, a decision won't save us. All the decision do is that I acknowledge that there is something out there that I need to do. We will know that we have entered into Christ when all of a sudden, in the words of the great old gospel song, all my life long I had panted for a draught from some cool spring that I thought would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Hallelujah, I have found him whom all my life I've sought. Jesus satisfies my longing. Now I find my satisfaction in him. Abide in him. That's the beginning stage. That's when your soul is awakened to, to another world, another level of living you never thought possible or even necessary for that matter. So what happens when the personal confession is made? What is step number two, if you please? It is personal communion with Christ. Personal communion with Christ. Confession is what I do in inviting him in. Communion is what happens because he is in. And so what happens? Listen to what he says. If you abide in me, and the word which brought you to me abide in you. So there is the abiding in the person, but there's also the abiding of the precepts in our lives. Two things begin to happen. 
in personal communion, we begin to prize the scripture. We begin to prize the scripture. <laughs> I, I say this, and I can say this because it's, 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 it's history in my life. When I became a Christian, one of the first things I, I, I did was to open the scriptures. I had no interest in it before. I used to get up at 4.30 in the mornings because I understood that a man named John Wesley used to do the same thing. So I wanted to emulate him. So I would get up at 4.30 in the morning, read the scriptures, and sing the psalms, and delight myself in the scriptures. Nobody said, this is what you were supposed to do. Nobody said that, Winston, now that you're a Christian, this is what you should be doing. Now all of a sudden, this book that was so strange to me and the book that I criticized in the lives of other people, all of a sudden it became a part of my own, own passion. My sister was a Christian before I was and, and she used to just drive me crazy. She wanted to listen to a radio station from South America, 8CJB. Heralding Christ Jesus' blessing. When I became a Christian, I bought my own radio so I could listen to it. You see, there was a passion. There was a prizing. Now, God's word was abiding within me. James says that the word of God is the word which brings us to salvation. And dear friends, if that word brings you to salvation, shouldn't you be prizing that word when it did for your soul something that no other book could do? It created in you a thirst for something that you never knew possible. Why? Because in John 6, 63, Jesus said, The words that I speak to you, they are spirit, are spiritual, and they are life-giving. We shall see in a minute. So the disciples were surrounded by people who were questioning the hard sayings of Jesus. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said to them, Will you also go away? Listen to what Peter said. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, what, that's what the soul needs. The soul needs eternal life. And eternal life is received when the word makes us conscious of our own condition. Uh, you know, it's interesting. John, 1 John 1.10 says, listen, listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And God's truth is not in us. God's word gives us the proper perspective of ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deny ourselves, we make God a liar, and his word is not in us. I cannot read God's word and feel that I am the best thing that God ever did upon the face of this earth. I cannot read God's word and feel that I am better than anybody else. 
See, because at the core, at the core of self-gratification is a three-letter word called sin. And sin is that, is, as C.S. Lewis puts it, is, is that pride which shuts me out from others, which shut others out from me, but ultimately the ugliness of pride is that it shuts me out from God. That's, that is what makes pride so absolutely obnoxious. You know, I'm going through the, reading the Bible for a year um, with you. And I, again, I'm reminded of, of Eve in front of the, 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 the tree of good and evil. When she saw the tree that it was able to make one wise. You know what, that, you know what that's like? Well, that's like the contemporary young person saying to their parents, you don't understand me. That's what, he was, that's what she was saying to God. You don't understand me. You're trying to, you, you're trying to, to impose your, your will on me. Ah, oh, if only she knew what she was up to. The word of God gives us the proper perspective of ourselves so that we do not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. You know, I sometimes jokingly say to my wife and to those who know me best, uh, you know why I don't have an Escalade? I, I would be the, pr- the proudest driver in the world. <laughs> uh, if I had an Escalade, man, I tell you, just, just drive up, you know, and people would see that baby shining, you know. <laughs> God, God knows why he doesn't give some of us some of the things we would really like. Because if he did, he wouldn't be able to stand us. The word of God makes us conscious, my friends, of who we really are, what we really are. Th- th- this word exposes us for what we are to God. For the true Winston Thurton is not the one standing here before you. The true Winston Thurton is the one that is at home where nobody else is. What I do, what I say, what I think, what I participate in, what I watch, that's who I am. And the word of God is what makes me aware that unless I am in tune with him, I can become anything I want to become except what God wants me to become. Communion with the word. To whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. If I say there's no sin in me, I'm making a mockery of God. But what the word of God does, it does something about that sin that is in us. And so what's, what do we see now? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, there is a process in abiding. When the word of God abides in us, there is something happening in us. And I want to take you for a few minutes to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13. I want you to see this process. Paul is thanking God for the Thessalonian church. And he said this, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, 
you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which worketh. I brought that word from the King James Translation. The word of God, which worketh in you who believe. Now here it is. When we abide in Christ and his word abide in us, we, believe, we begin to believe the word. And when we begin to believe the word, the word begins to work in us. God begins to do things with his word. You see, the Holy Spirit, if the word is not there, the Holy Spirit doesn't have anything to work with. So when, when the word is there, he can begin to do some readjusting. I, I like Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews 4 12 says, the word of God is alive. It is powerful. It is able to judge between the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow. It is able to go inside and reveal what is really, really there. Which other book can do that, friends? No other book can do that. So when the Spirit has the word with which to work, he begins to readjust ourselves because that is what brings us into communion with our Lord. And God isn't going to save us from sin and let us remain in it. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna draw us out. He's going to make things that we used to love distasteful to us. Morally, mentally, emotionally. When that word begins to work, it does things. This, this, this two-edged sword does things. It cuts us where we don't want to be cut. It invades where we don't want any invasion. And God is, is, is going to say, in a few minutes, if you are going to experience the joy, developing an appetite for prayer, there are certain things I must remove from your life. I must take them out of your life. They can't remain there as the Spirit is working in you and doing that readjustment. He must have the final say and what takes place in your life if you're going to develop an appetite for prayer. So look at what the Thessalonians did. They heard the word of God from a man, but they never took it as word of a man. I love that. They said, you, you receive the word, the message we brought, you receive it as it really is, God's word. I love that because my responsibility Sunday after Sunday as I stand here is to make sure that what I say to you is God's word, not my opinion about God's word. That I have to be absolutely sure of. And when I take care of heart preparation and study and pray and ask God to save me from making giving my opinion on what he has said. I want the people to hear God's word and to receive it that way. I don't want to persuade them to do that. I want them to do it. Because that's what the Spirit does. 
when God sets me free from, from spiritual pride in preparation, in presentation, then you hear God's word. You're not simply listening to a man. You're saying, God is saying something to me in my seat where I'm sitting right now. God touched me by something that the pastor said. The, the Thessalonians received the word of God. They heard it from men, but they received it from God. Thirdly, they believed the word they heard. And then the word started to work in them. Four things. They heard God's word from men. They received God's word from men from God. They believed the word of God they heard. And the word started to work in them. <laughs> let, let me suggest something, friends. And, and, and this is just what Jesus is saying. You cannot develop an aptitude, an appetite for prayer with a closed Bible. You can't do it. It is if you abide in me and my words abide in you. For once that word begins to work, you will find yourself with an attitude, an appetite for prayer. Listen to Jesus as we go back to John 15. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. What's the next word? Ask. Ask. Now, isn't that amazing? If you abide in me, and my word abide in you, you may ask. Because that's exactly what the word does. You begin to ask God. You begin to seek God. So three things. A passion for prayer is the result of the abiding, working scriptures. My words abide in you. That word begins to do things in my life. Listen to, listen to these passages. Psalm 119.73 Give me understanding. He's speaking to God. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. Give me understanding, God, that I may learn your commandments. As soon as the, the commandments begin to work in you, you begin to ask. Psalm 119, verse 17. Deal bountifully with thy servants that I may live and keep thy word. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your word. Psalm 119, 25. Revive me or quicken me according to your word. So all through prayer and the scriptures, prayer and the scriptures, the scriptures and prayer. I want to suggest, not only is that the result of prayer, but I want to suggest from this text that a life of prayer is regulated by the scriptures. Regulated by the scriptures. In other words, prayer is not an act on my part where I try to tell God what he should give to me. That sounds like that's what the text says, doesn't it? Whatever you ask, you'll get. <laughs> oh, I tell you, this would be a message in itself. I have been 
Now, now I, I, you, you, you know, friends, that I am, um, I, I don't want to bring football into anything. But I have been literally sick. A survey was taken this past week asking if those surveyed believe that divine intervention was the reason Tim Tebow was winning for the Denver Broncos. 34% of Christians said yes. Can you imagine that? 34% believe that the reason, and so I'm wondering what happened yesterday. What happened when there are Christians on the opposing team also praying to win? They make God like Jacob, having favoritism. You see what I'm getting at? When it says whatever you ask, your prayer is regulated by the scriptures. Your prayer comes out of the scriptures. And so God's greatest concern in answering prayers is not to make you comfortable, not to make me comfortable. We'll see this in a minute. James chapter 4 verse 3 says, You ask and you do not have, because you ask amiss that you might consume it upon your own gratification. I, I heard one woman, and, and it was a woman, that's the reason I'm saying, I'm, I'm sure that men do the same thing because we're hearing it for football. I felt so horrible one morning I got up, that I said, God, the only thing that can make me happy is a diamond ring. And God gave it to her. At least she said, God gave it to her. My friends, that's making a mockery of God. Because if God's greatest desire is my, my sinful gratification, it violates what James just said. So, so when I pray what God is doing, I am not trying to persuade God to do what I want. It is not some, some kind of a magic thing. Listen to, listen to Paul. Paul said, I had an experience that took me up to the third heaven. I saw and I heard things that are so wonderful that I can't even speak of them. And because of the surpassing greatness of my experience, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, which is the messenger of Satan. And the one that gave it to him was God. Satan did not give it to him, because Satan does not concern himself with our pride. So listen to what he says. Three times I asked God to remove it. That was my desire. If he took, if he took John 15, 7 at face value, God lied. Because the scripture says, whatever you ask, you'll get it. But you see, my friends, when the scriptures are in us, and we pray back to God what he's working in us, our will becomes God's will. Our desire becomes God's desire. So what did he say to, to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. So God provides for us. In fact, when you think of that great text in Philippians chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made unto God with thanksgiving. Listen to what it says. Listen to what it says. 
and the peace of God will reign in your heart. Not that God is going to give you what you're asking for. The peace of God will reign. Because sometimes, my friends, when God is answering our prayers, he's answering it in a far greater way than you and I could think of just this little limited thing we're thinking about here. I think again in the seventh chapter of the book of Acts. Stephen is being stoned. And the last thing Stephen did in prayer was to say, Lord, don't lay this sin to the charge of those who are stoning me. Where did he get that from? The first words from the Lord Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. See, prayer is regulated by Scripture. I heard the most terrible, terrible thing from a Christian leader not too long ago. And this is what he said. It's public, so I guess I can say it. He said, if a wife gets sick with Alzheimer's disease, it is okay for her husband to cheat on her. That's what a Christian minister said. My friends, how can we violate the scriptures to satisfy our own passions? Our prayers must be regulated by the scriptures so that we ask God that which is in accordance with his will. There might be other things God is going to give. But those other things are to be used for the purpose for which we pray. And that's beyond what we ask or think. We'll get to that one of these Sundays from Ephesians. So we should not understand whatsoever to mean that prayer is a kind of magic talisman so that whatever any desire we have. You know what I thought about? I, I thought about this. Here, here, is, here is the Denver Broncos playing some other team. I don't know who they are. Who has, a, who has a real devoted Christian guy. And both of them are praying that, that they win. And, and, and when, when they're praying, you can see God going, meeny, meeny, miny, moe, which is the... That's, my friends, please hear me. I do not mean to be frivolous. But God does not concern himself with football. There are greater things. You know what I thought about when I heard that this week? That God intervenes divinely so that this one man can win. I thought, I thought of Stan at home in bed. You and I praying that God might touch his body and God is going to talk about football over a man suffering like that? This doesn't make any sense. We mock God. See, when our prayers are regulated by Scripture, we say, oh God, it doesn't appear that your purpose is to heal Stan. But we understand from scriptures that your grace is sufficient for these things. Grant him that he will not complain while he's on his bed. And which of you has visited him and he has been complaining? None of us. None of us. When our prayers are regulated by God, thirdly, and that's not all, but thirdly, there's a romance of the soul. What do I mean by that? Psalm 5, uh, Proverbs 15, 8 says this. That the prayer of the upright is God's delight. Can you, can you imagine that? The prayer of the upright is the delight of God. The pleasure of God. 
so that when you and I stand or sit and kneel to pray, God takes pleasure in hearing you asking him. And by the way, the word for ask in the Greek is a, is a word which is most, most revealing because it's a word that speaks of the lesser asking the greater. That's the idea of the word. So God delights in his people depending on him, trusting him, calling upon him. So Jesus puts the New Testament counterpart to that by saying this, by this is my father glorified that you bring forth much fruit, fruit. It's talking about when you pray, the passion of God is to bring out of your life that which when others see it, they say, the only way this can happen is because God is doing it. The only way this can happen. I don't see how any man can live doing what, that's what Nicodemus did. He went to Jesus and he said, I don't see how anyone can do what you're doing except God is with him. For this, God is glorified. When we pray, the delight of God is to answer so that you get the blessing and God gets the glory. That's prayer. And this week we're coming together to pray. I invite you to come, friends. This this. This church needs you to be a part of its collective praying body. This community needs you to, 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 to invade its corners with, with prayers, asking God by his spirit to, to, to heal homes, homes that are broken. We, we need a, a company of people to be praying that wherever little Corey is, he's under God's care because we are praying. That's what we need to do. But the last word will not be the, the, the community at all. It will be God. But that will be so because you are praying. Because we are praying. And, and, and the, the, the songwriter puts it this way. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire, uttered or unexpressed. The motion of a hidden fire that trembles in the breast. Prayer is the Christian's vital breath. The Christian's native heir. His watchword at the gates of death. He enters heaven with prayer. So God does not answer our prayers for our satisfaction. He has it for his glory. But his glory includes our joy. And the greatest joy for you and for me is when we see what God does because we ask. And we ask because the scriptures regulate our asking. And whatever God does, whether he heals or he doesn't heal, because he can do either, he does it with a greater purpose one way or another that we're able to look and see the ways in which our Savior leads us so that we will give him glory. And that the very angels in heaven are amazed as they see the grace of God at work in human lives here on earth. Let us pray. Oh God, Anybody can talk about prayer, including myself. But we're just a noisy gong and a tingling cymbal, cymbal if we do not practice it. May, may your word create the passion this morning. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you may ask. 
And all of a sudden, I find myself praying on the other side of life, from God's point of view, into my situation, not from my situation into God's. And then, Father, may you be glorified in what you do, so that when you do it, the one word others have of it, this has to be God's doing, because I don't see how it can be done otherwise, so that we get the blessing, you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.